chapter 3 today. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. If you would follow along with me as I read. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if if, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it intrigues me that Paul says, uh, let those who are mature think this way. And so I pray that you would help us this morning as we look together at this brief passage and and think together about it, um, would you impress upon us that, that this way of thinking that Paul is about to give us is a mature Christian's way of thinking about life? Father, that, that can fix me. It challenges me. And I pray that, that you, by your Spirit, would come and challenge us all with it, but also encourage us Encourage us to be those who, who long to mature, who long to progress um, in faith, in grace, and in pursuit of Jesus. And so would you show us Jesus this morning, we ask, in Christ's name, amen. Well, um, you are looking this morning, folks, at a long-distance runner. Me, right here. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, like 35 years ago, maybe. And you'd be right. 35 years ago, in junior high and high school, I was a cross-country runner. And uh, if you ask my children, I'm sure they'd be delighted to show you a picture of me running. I had hair, and I was very thin. But uh, I ran cross-country. Uh, for Charlotte Christian School, the real CCS, and uh, I loved it. Um, I was not good at it. You know how they they rank the first five runners for every school? Those first five runners get counted with points. I was never, ever, ever in about six years of running for CCS, I was never in the top five of my teams. But I ran every race anyway. And I found that uh, there came a point in every race when I wondered, am I going to make it? Can I keep going 
this hurts too much. I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be one of the top five anyway. I could. Wa- I could walk this. We're in the woods, and there's no one near me. I'll just walk. There are lots of those times uh, when I ran, but there's also a time in every race when I became absolutely focused. And when I poured on the energy and I, I pressed on and I strained forward to the point where my feet had to run faster in order to catch up with my head and my heart, that's how intense I was and focused and energetic. And that moment always came when I could see the finish line, when I was in the home stretch, when, when I was just this close to resting from my running. I'm not stopping now. I'm about to get to rest. And when I could already taste the cold Gatorade that would come from that bottle that's been resting in the cooler of ice that my coach brought with us. When it got to that point, the last 100 yards or so of the race, I sprinted every time with whatever I had left. My mind was suddenly focused on crossing the finish line and guzzling that liquid gold and resting from my running. And suddenly I found energy I didn't know I had. I found myself forgetting all the pain and the exhaustion as I sprinted across the line to finish. What kept Paul pressing on? What kept Paul from getting bogged down in the pain of the race, in in what might seem sometimes like the futility of the race? What What made Paul strain forward so that his feet had to catch up with his head and his heart? Paul said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What was the this that he had not yet obtained? He said, but I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What was the it that compelled him to press on? What was this it that he longed to make his very own? Paul said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, that's that that idea of stretching out forward so that your feet have to catch up with your head and your heart. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul's one thing? What was this goal, this prize that would make him forget all of his past goals and prizes and leave behind all of his boasts and accomplishments? What goal or prize had such surpassing worth as to make him strain forward in hot pursuit of something more. What was it? Well, here it is. Here's Paul's it, his one thing, his goal, his prize, that I may know him, Paul said. And the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's all Paul wanted to do with his life? 
That's all Paul wanted to do with his life. Didn't he have a thousand other things he could do that he needed to do that God had given him to do? Paul did not have a thousand pursuits, one of which was knowing Jesus. No, no. Paul's one pursuit was to know Jesus in and through all of the thousands of things God had given him to do. He had one pursuit. Paul is saying, all I want to do with all of my life is to know Jesus. He says, that I may know him. But doesn't Paul know Jesus already? Well, clearly he does, but he wants to know Jesus more. There's a a holy dissatisfaction in him. What he knows of Jesus is not enough of him, is not enough for him. Once I first tasted Oriketti Bolognese at Il Primo in North Shore, once I tasted that dish, I didn't say, well, that was good. I don't need to come back here anymore. If you haven't tasted it, you know what I'm talking about. There's no way. I know the Oriketti Bolognese at Il Primo, but I want to know it more. Paul can't get enough of Jesus. He has tasted and seen that the Lord is good and he wants more. You might, you might say Paul's obsessed with Jesus. We, we, we kind of judge people who get obsessed with their boyfriends and girlfriends and who get obsessed with people. But if you've ever been in love, you know what that obsession is. That person has so captured your heart that you can't get enough of them. Paul presses on and strains forward to know Jesus. Are we driven by an obsession with Jesus? Do we crave him? Paul wants to know Jesus. That's his one thing. That's his goal. That's his prize. But but what is... What does knowing Jesus look like? What shape does it take? Well, Paul goes on in verses 10 and 11 to describe the shape of knowing Jesus. And it looks like this. I'll show this to everybody at home too. It looks like this. Paul Miller calls this the J-curve of the life of Jesus and the life of those who follow Jesus. Look, it should be this way, right? Because you're looking at this, sorry. That way. Knowing Jesus means knowing the power of his resurrection. It means sharing in his sufferings. It means becoming like him in his death. It means attaining or finally arriving at the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Jesus starts with the power of his resurrection. And you might, you might think Paul would start with the suffering and death of Jesus and then go to his resurrection. But, but just as Paul's journey began with Jesus meeting him, the resurrected Jesus meeting him on the road to Damascus, so our journey begins with the resurrected Jesus 
making us his own by his resurrection power. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were dead in our sin. We were running in rebellion from him. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sin, made us alive with Christ by his resurrection power. Do you know that resurrection power? Have you been brought from death to life? That's where the journey with Jesus begins. But the journey with Jesus continues in his resurrection power. Remember a few weeks ago, Paul said, work out your own salvation for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's God's resurrection power that works in you as you work out your salvation. So we start knowing Jesus by knowing the power of his resurrection. And we, we need to know the power of his resurrection because of what comes next. Because Paul goes on and he says that we, we know Jesus as we share in his suffering. The way Paul said this in the Greek doesn't actually separate knowing the power of his resurrection and sharing in his sufferings. They go together. And that means two things. First, it means that knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection will lead you into a participation in his suffering. But it also means that as you participate and share in his sufferings, you will do so in the power of his resurrection. And that's good news to know, that even as he leads you down into participation in his sufferings, you have the power of his resurrection in you, with you, in Christ. I tried to think about, how, do, how does sharing in his sufferings help me to know him better? And the best I could come up with is, is to think of my dad. Now, I know my dad. I've known him for 53 years. But as I became a husband and have been married for 30 years, and as I became a father and I've raised three children, and as I've worked hard in a calling that God gave me to, to make a difference in the world and to make a living for my family, as, as I've suffered some of the heartache that my dad has suffered in all of the relationships and roles and responsibilities God gave him, as I have experienced some of the suffering that he has experienced in being a husband and a father and a worker and a man of God, I know him in a way that I didn't know him before. Not because I have experienced exactly what he's experienced in his suffering but because I've experienced a similar kind of suffering. In some way, I've shared in the suffering of my dad's calling by suffering in similar ways in my own calling. It, it, that's the best I can do to, to get at what Paul is trying to say, that we participate in the suffering of Jesus as we live out 
the kind of calling that Jesus lived out. It's this J-shaped life. And Paul takes it a step further as he describes the transformation that takes place when we know him in his resurrection power and share in his sufferings. He says that we become like him in his death. That literally means we become conformed to his death. We, we are shaped like him in his death. Does that mean we die to save sinners? No. Jesus died to save sinners. We died to self. We died to sin. Paul once counted all of his pedigree and his performance as loss once, but he continued to count it as loss. He continued to count all of his deeds as dung, and he continued to die to his self-dependence, and he continued to deny himself and take up his cross as Jesus said his disciples would do. So we become shaped like him in his death as we die to ourselves, but also as we die to love others, as we give our lives for the sake of others, as we, like Jesus, take the form of a servant and we consider others as more important than ourselves and we look out for their interests and not just our interests. As we do that, as we die in love for others the way Jesus died in love for us, we become conformed to his shape. So Eric Parker made this for me yesterday. It's a half-inch steel rod. Um, and before we started, before he started, it looked like this. Just good old straight rod, right? But then, he had this thing, which is really heavy, Ugh. and you don't want to use it for disc golf. But it's a 12-inch in diameter steel plate. And he had this on a table, and he had it clamped down, and uh, then he took this rod, this straight rod, and <clears throat> using a blowtorch and the strength of his arm, he began to wrap this steel rod around this steel circle so that this rod became conformed to the shape of this. And I watched him do it. I have video if you want to watch it. But he used a lot of heat. I mean, it was so hot we couldn't touch this or the plate for quite a while. And that heat made the, the rod malleable. It, it let it give way and so he could then bend. And then he used a lot of pressure, a lot of strength of his arm. And one time he even put his hip into it to bend this rod to conform to the shape of that circle. Being conformed to Jesus in his death, as I die to myself and die to love others, is a slow and painful process. But it is what's best. This is what God wants to do in you and in me. And I thought this week about this, and I thought about how painful the process is to become someone who 
loves others to death like Jesus did, um, who dies to myself. Uh, and I thought about all the pain of being shaped and conformed to the shape of Jesus. Uh, and it, I, I thought of C.S. Lewis's famous quote where he said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us, which is to shape us to look like Jesus. We're actually just wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. Make no mistake, the process of becoming conformed to Jesus and his death is painful. But there's hope because by by taking on the shape of Jesus in his death, it also means we'll take on the shape of Jesus in his resurrection. Paul says that by any means possible, I might attain, or that means to arrive at, the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes through the pain of being conformed to the shape of Jesus with the certainty that he will arrive at resurrection. This, this verse, does, it's not, it doesn't sound like Paul is doubtful. Well, that maybe, by some means, I may possibly attain. No, no, no. He's absolutely certain that he will arrive at resurrection. He's not saying he's not sure if he will be resurrected. He's just not sure which way the path to the finish line will take him. That's all he doesn't know but he can go through the pain of being conformed to Jesus because he knows that like Jesus, he will go down into death. And because Jesus is resurrected, Paul will also be resurrected. That gives him hope. That's what it means to know Jesus. And that was Paul's one thing. In all of the thousand things, Paul's one thing was to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming conformed to him in his death, knowing one day he would arrive at resurrection. Wow. Well, here's a question that I had this week and a thought that really actually comforted and strengthened me uh, through a couple of rough patches this week. This is, this is what I wrote down. What one thing could you spend your entire self and life pursuing that you know for certain you could always obtain and never lose, no matter what happened, no matter the circumstances, no matter the obstacles? Is there a thing that you could pursue, that you know for certain that you would have no matter what the circumstances, no matter what obstacles were in the path along the race? Is there? Better yet, what prize could you pursue that the circumstances and obstacles that come up on the path would actually only serve to help you attain the prize? Friends, all that you suffer in pursuit of Jesus, all that gets in your way, all that frustrates you, actually helps you attain the prize if the prize is to know 
Jesus in the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that one day there'd be resurrection. If that's your one thing, you can't lose it. And if something gets in your way, something hurts, something's painful, you live in 2020, it doesn't get in your way, it helps you get there. If your one thing is to become like him, to know him. All things must work together to give you a knowledge of Jesus that will conform you to the shape of Jesus. Let that encourage you. When I ran my cross-country races, I was, uh, I was pulled forward in the race by the hope and the promise of crossing the finish line, of enjoying rest from my running and satisfying my thirst with ice-cold Gatorade. I was pulled forward. And Paul, too, was pulled forward by the promise of being satisfied with knowing Jesus, by the hope of becoming like him in his death and his resurrection. Those things pulled Paul forward. But there's one more reason Paul kept running. It was not something that would come at the end of the race, but something that had already happened, something that actually started Paul's race. Paul said, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on to make knowing Jesus my own because Christ Jesus has already made me his own. Paul ran toward the promise that he would know Jesus because he was running in the promise that he was already known by Jesus. And then he said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I've been called upward by God in Christ Jesus. Paul ran with the confidence of knowing that he had been called by God through Christ Jesus to come receive the prize of Christ Jesus. All this is how he started the race. Paul says twice in verses 12 and 14, I press on, I press on. Well, the word that's translated press on right there is also the same word back in verse 6 that we looked at last week that's translated persecutor. That's strange. I press on for this prize. I persecute this prize? Because it's a word that means to be in hot pursuit of something. And Paul is saying, before I met Jesus, I was in hot pursuit of the people of Jesus to put them in jail for blaspheming God by worshiping this false Messiah named Jesus. That was the passion of his life, was to pursue these people. But now, he has a whole new passion. He was pressing on to persecute them, now he's pressing on to pursue Jesus. Even as he was on the road in hot pursuit of the followers of Jesus, Jesus appeared to Paul in all his blinding glory and stopped Paul in his tracks. 
Paul found out that day that Jesus was actually the Messiah. <laughs> Not a false one, but the Messiah. And Paul came to see that he himself was the one who was blaspheming God by persecuting Jesus. And Jesus in his mercy made Paul his own. He grabbed hold of him. He laid hold of Paul that day and he set Paul running in a new direction, the direction of a hot pursuit of laying hold of and knowing Jesus more and more and more and more. What's got you in hot pursuit? What are you in hot pursuit of? Through these words from Paul this morning, Jesus has come to stop you in your tracks, to lay hold of you, and to set you running toward him, instead of away from him, toward him. Run, friend, run. Because don't you want to know the heart of the one who for the joy that was set before him put on human flesh and ran the race you were given to run? For you, he endured the cross and the shame that you deserve. For you, he ran down into death and damnation itself until he cried on the cross. It is finished for Jimmy. It is finished for Nathan. It is finished for Carrie Beth. It is finished for Rachel. It is finished for Ryan. Don't you want to know him? For you, he rose victorious from the grave. For you, he now sits exalted at the Father's right hand, wearing the victor's crown. And now, by his spirit, Jesus runs with and in you until you finish your race and join him in his rest. Brothers and sisters, press on. Run to him. 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 Father, would you give us whew, such a picture of Jesus as the one who pursued us first, that our hearts would long to pursue him in response. Do that by your Holy Spirit, we ask, even as we come to this table. In Christ's name that I pray, amen.